0: and welcome to food 101 food 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 people let's talk about food and today i have my special guest he is one of the best comedian of all time hey. yay no other than mr mike lucas
1: everybody stay seated please stay seated (laughs) best of all time thanks daniel that's um quite a uh, honor to uh, be bestowed but uh i will um i'll take it
0: yes and so mr mike can you please introduce yourself to our listeners on food 101
1: well, my name is Mike Lucas. I'm a comedian who originally came from Cleveland, Ohio, and now makes his home in Dallas, Texas. I was a touring comedian for 24 years, and now I'm an author of the book "Finding Your Funny Muscle: How to Create Laughs Like a Pro." It's a humor writing book that I'm um, introducing to the world. And now I'm talking yeah. about food, Daniel. I'm I'm actually I have uh, uh, interestingly enough I have a mouth, I have teeth, and I have a stomach, so I have everything yeah. required to <laughs> enjoy food yes especially you yeah, have taste buds
0: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: you gotta have good taste buds and um i um i did get covid uh once but i have recovered my taste so um and i've never oh. had taste in clothing so it's a if, if it, the only thing i can count on is my ability to taste food oh yeah definitely
0: so what is your favorite food then, mr mike
1: Ooh, my favorite food i i have a couple um one of the one of the one of the most tasty things I could eat in, uh, it's going to be, um, it's kind of like a, a drunk guy's food, <laughs> but it's a, a, a gyro, a G Y R O, uh, the Greek delicacy that is on a, um, a pita. It's got, um, lamb meat usually off of a, um, a, a, you know, I, uh, what are those called? A, a big slab of lamb meat, and they, they slice it off. And then there's uh, onions and tomatoes and uh, sauce, and it, it's really good. I, the first one I ever had was in Chicago when I was a kid, and so I think I'm, I always relive that one. And every town I go to, I look for any Greek restaurant that has a, a, a Euro um, shop, and I, and I test it out.
0: Yes. Have you been to Greece, uh, Mr. Mike?
1: No, I haven't been. I haven't been um, too much of Europe. Um, I I, uh, I would love to go there. And uh, it, it's funny though, uh, Daniel. I wonder, like, do the Greeks in Greece actually eat euros? I mean, is that really? A, a, it was that an Americanized version of a dish that they uh, serve over there? Uh, that that's uh, that'd be my first question to a, a real Greek. Is a meat cook on a vertical uh, rotisserie? But just, uh, that's it. yeah. Yes. It's like a spit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that's how you can tell if it's going to be a good sandwich. Because what a lot of places will try to do is take advantage of the Euro, um, uh, you know, uh, trend, and they will get frozen meat that's pre-sliced, and they'll heat that up in a microwave and, and try to serve that to you. And that you got to watch out for that. That's. It, you don't want that experience. Cause it, it's, you know, it's like, it's like eating microwave pizza. It just doesn't, it's not the same. And um, I remember the first Euro I ever ate was probably in the um, 1970s or, or early eighties. And I was in Chicago and uh, my, uh, my uncle uh, was living there at the time, and I went with him to a, a thing called the Chicago Fest, and it's a festival that they have that involves uh, food and music, and they used to have it on the Navy Pier there um, right off of Lake Michigan, and what they would do is they would set up multiple bandstands and have different types and genres of music play uh, it, it diff- uh, at each of those bandstands, and then surrounding that were all the best food um like uh, uh, deliverers in in Chicago, so there would be some of the best pizza you'd have there. There'd be the uh, the Euro stands. Um, there'd be um, you know uh, corn dogs and 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 any you know I guess what else would be in Chicago, but they um but, but typically like deep deep dish pizza and stuff like that. And then the my uncle turned me on to the Euro. He said I want you to try something, and we bought it. And at first I was a little bit nervous because you know they have that big spit of the sort of like greasy. Um, meat that's sitting there, um, cooking as as in, in spinning, um, yes. and, right. So it's a little bit intimidating, and you're kind of like, well, like, is that a side of beef? Is that a no? It's lamb. Well, that's not the shape of a lamb. And they're like, well, we've sort of reshaped it to be on the I'm like, okay, I guess I trust you. And then, yes. and then they have that, uh, is it tzatziki sauce or whatever? I can't know how they pronounce it, but it's like a cucumber sauce, which is not, it looks like it might be mayonnaise. It looks like it might be whatever's in coleslaw, but it's neither yes. of that. It's a real tasty and tangy sauce. And so I, the, the, the spice of the, the lamb and then the, um, the tang of the, uh, that tzatziki sauce, um, just I, I I was, I don't know, I maybe 10 or 12 at the time. And it just blew my taste buds away. I, I'd been used to like meatloaf and hamburgers and, and, you know, a fast, some fast food stuff. And then this Euro just came alive in my mouth. And I was just like, um, I was, just, I was like, I'd never tasted anything like it. And I remember that the pita that they use is a different kind of pita. It's not like the kind of pita my mom would, you know, wrap me up a, tuna or a turkey sandwich for my lunch. This was like a thicker one and they had, you know, cooked it on the grill. So there was slightly crispy on, on the outside, but still soft enough and, you know, to be pulled apart. And, oh my God, I, I, I bit into that. And it was just like, there was like three different textures to it. I was, I was just amazed. And then that taste of the Euro just, it, it shocked me and, and I, I'll never forget it. And so ever since then, Daniel, I've been trying to relive that initial Euro experience every right every time i go to these restaurants i'm like oh is it going to be as good as that one and and it's never measured up and i I think a lot of that is you know just you know the memory of it yes
0: if you go to greece that's like every corner there is there yes
1: oh good (laughs) that makes me feel better because i I, I, you know because a lot of of, uh, us americans we assume like like we assume our chinese food is what the chinese eat in china and it's not i found that out uh, my parents yes. uh, went to uh, China and Japan, and they were like, uh, "Just so you know, it's nothing like that." And yes. uh, and it's the same when you go to Mexico. Uh, when when you um, have a you know uh, American Mexican food, it's a different taste than when you go to Mexico. So I'm glad to hear that in Greek, in Greece, the Greek food there is uh, is authentic. Yes, <laughs> definitely. So it better be.
0: So, Mr. Mike, all the ingredients in. Uh, tomato onion fried potatoes do you like them all or some of uh, uh the ingredients
1: wait did you say fried potatoes
0: yes there's a fried potatoes in a euro
1: i've never had a fried yeah. potato you're interesting man see that's the difference and maybe that's the traditional greek version because the ones i have have the meat the tomatoes and you know what daniel the, the one thing i one complaint i might have about the euro uh service in and this is just personal because a lot of people um, don't probably don't agree with this, but there's, there's a little too much onions. Sometimes what they'll do is um, it's funny. It's almost like whoever owns a Euro shop also owns an onion farm because they seem to have (laughs) endless access to onion and they chop them up and then they just pile it on. Like they like two handfuls of onions on top of it. And, I, I, my stomach can't handle, uh, onions, raw onions. I, I get, um, sick, I get heartburn and I get other, other problems we don't need to go into, but, um, but they, so, so whenever they serve those onions, I'm just shocked. And then I look at other people and they're eating them all. So that's the one thing I like. So I, I personally, that's the one part I would uh, take less of. I'll, I'll put a few on, and sometimes you just I'll take, pull off all the onions, and the flavor from having so many of them on on the sandwich it <laughs> remains. Whatever whatever that juice is that comes off the onion is still there, so I still get the flavor. But Yes. But yeah, but the fried potatoes, uh, Daniel. I'm shocked to find that out. That that's um that's interesting. That's a that's almost a reason to go to Greece alone. Yes,
0: and usually in Greece they usually uh,
1: do pork not lamb they do pork huh yes i didn't know that interesting uh, good good to know so so they will they have a spit also though like that large yes uh, okay. they usually that either uh, beef or lamb
0: but they usually most of them are pork
1: pork huh is, i wonder why is that maybe a cheaper meat for them to get uh, in a, like to serve to the masses yeah definitely yes yeah that makes sense yeah that's the way it is here in america too we um <laughs> which t- you never know what you're gonna get and, and the cheaper the food the more you suspect it's not the meat you think it is you know <laughs> why are there no cats in this neighborhood why are there no <laughs> dogs? Uh, never mind just enjoy your hero <laughs> yes <laughs> sounds delicious right yeah that spit is meowing
0: i just want to elaborate Sir mike what i it made of it usually uh greek yogurt cucumber garlic olive oil and lemon
1: Ooh, yeah yes. yeah and it, it kind of goes uh like a sweet sour kind of tang to it and um yes. and i like that and 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 i you know i don't typically eat a lot of cucumbers but i understand that cucumbers are really good for you and um, in a lot of different ways, so so it's nice to know that I'm getting you know in that set. right? You said little cucumber, little chopped up. Yes. Yeah. You,
0: yeah. you mince it or grated it so that it will mix thoroughly for the uh, Greek yogurt.
1: Right. I got you. Mm, that's yes. tasty. Yeah, I like that. That the um, um, I'm a, I, I like to having sauces on on the thing. Now the only, the other thing that you know it doesn't have the euro isn't spicy. it like in terms of a hotness, so. If you're, a, if you're a, a lover of hot food or spicy food like that, it's not spicy that way. It's, it's more um, spicy in the um, like, uh, sort of a, 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 a f- just more f- uh, savory, you know, like flavorful. And um, it, I, I like that. The, the pork or the beef or the lamb. Usually they marinate
0: it. Uh, they marinate before they're going to put on the uh, thing.
1: That makes it's sense because it's funny. usually really tender. Like there's a real tenderness to it and there's a real um, a juiciness that, that you wouldn't think that, – that's the funny thing, Daniel. When you look at um, these some of these street vendors especially, um, maybe not the restaurant, but the street vendors that have these spits that are running, they're constantly spinning and constantly cooking. So you would think that this meat would be really dry. But there's a real juiciness yes. to it that they are able to capture. They must have like a temperature uh, monitoring thing that goes on there.
0: So you meant to say that your
1: favorite cuisine is Greek cuisine. Well, I don't know if it, 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 I, well, there, I have a, a lot of favorite uh, of, of cuisines of mine are Greek, but I don't know if like overall that would be my favorite cuisine. Uh, although I do like, um, what's the other dish they always serve? Those grape leaves. Oh, those are good.
0: Oh yes, another kind. There's of... another
1: name for them, though. I know the Greek, yes. obviously. Helmataki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those are um, those are tricky because they have um, those grape leaves on the on the outside are not something that Americans typically eat. So when you first get that, it's it's a little it's a little tricky because the the there's a tanginess to it, and there's a real um, like it almost feels like a like a wet spinach, and so. If, if the place that serves it doesn't do a good job it can be a little too chewy so that's how you can i can typically tell if it's a good grape leaf um and then they're usually stuffed i, I remember like, like rice and i think there might be some chopped up meat in there sometimes and um and then that what i like the the coolest part about the grape leaves when they serve it to you is they do a fold to it that's sort of like you know that makes a, a burrito envious you know it's a it's a, a a spin and a twist, and then a and there's a roundness to these things. And I try to make grape leaves once, and it's not easy to do that fold and that that spin and that twist and that uh, to get them so that they're round and so that when you bite into them they don't explode. That that's tricky. So that that's that's half the battle right there.
0: Aside for being a food lover, you are an author and a comedian, as you said. Yes.
1: You have this
0: new book that you want to promote. So what is the title of the book, Mr. Mike?
1: Well, the title of the book is called Finding Your Funny Muscle. And the subtitle is How to Create Laughs Like a Pro. And so the gist of the book is... Oh, and by the way, the, the, you can find out more information about that if you go to funnymuscle.com. That's my website. There's a lot of free content on there. It's hilarious and um, plus you get there's information about the book and about me and you can get more background information and see videos and listen to audio blogs and that kind of thing. But the gist of the book, my idea is that um, laughter not only curbs stress, it turns strangers into friends and it does a body good. And so the more laughter we have in the world, the better. The problem is is a lot of people think that either you're funny or you're not, either you're born hilarious or you're not meant to be funny. You're only meant to enjoy humor from other people. And I I disagree with that. I think that you can learn to be a, a funnier person if you understand how it works. And so my book tried to break, tries to break down that process. I was a comedian for, uh, a touring comedian for 24 years. And, um, and so I really uh, and I did a couple of Tonight Shows. I was on the Conan O'Brien Show. I, uh, I had my own show on A&E called The Straight Dope that I co-wrote and um, hosted. And so I had a lot of experience being funny in front of people. And so I, I had a, a really good idea uh, of how to break down how to create uh, humor and so in this book i teach people how to find their own comedy lens that's like sort of a a porthole that you look through life at uh, to sort of give your own comedy taste um, and then um, I also teach you how to use something I call the humor blueprint, which is sort of a game plan of how to create jokes using uh, these thirty-six heightening devices that I give you in the book. And these are different ways to uh, create laughs out of an idea that you have. So all in all, it's it's a it's a fun book. It's a funny book. I I, I have a kind of a twisted sense of humor, and so I, I I use that throughout the book. I figure it's a if it's a book I'm writing humor, it should be funny too. And so people seem to really enjoy it. It's a it's available uh, on May. 15th which is next monday so i'm very excited to uh, it's my debut uh, novel daniel so it's it, my it's actually not a novel it's a, it's a non-fiction book i shouldn't say a novel because then it sounds like it, it's made up this is nonfiction, okay. and it's and it's very helpful and and it's really um helped a lot of people uh figure out how to tap into their own humor so they can add that in their own life you know you want to do that socially you want to do that at work and you and some people even want to do it for a living they want to get on stage and try it and that, you can do it uh, using that too Yes, definitely.
0: If if you observe that if
1: you will make
0: uh, a person laugh, it's a big
1: deal. <laughs> it, right, it is. It, well, you know what it does, Daniel? It, it feels there's a connection that you build. When you yeah. share a laugh with somebody, it means you both got it. You both understood the uh, humorous connection that was just made. Because when you're making a joke, the, the way a joke works is you kind of you set up a premise, which is like it's just an idea of, of what you're trying to talk about. So that gets the person thinking about the general idea. And then you, you do a setup. A setup is basically you're, you're getting them to think of a very normal situation that that a, a normal direction that this idea might go and then what you do is you surprise them you, you violate that norm you benignly violate um as peter mcgraw says you benignly violate that um that norm and give them something that they didn't expect but it still satisfies that setup so there's a real they, they, and then when they get that that connection is made there's a um there's a real um uh, a moment that you have between the two of you where you're laughing and you're sharing that connection. And, and so uh, it, 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 it really builds uh, friendships and it builds connections between people that you don't know. Like if you're in an elevator and someone cracks a joke and you all laugh, it makes that sort of yes. awkward, intense moment a little bit easier to deal with.
0: Yeah, did you, did you see this video that this man is laughing uh, in the bus,
1: and then a after they listening, laughing?
0: And everybody's laughing,
1: right? They don't even know what he's laughing at, but yes. they just start laughing, and then when they laugh, it begets more laughter. Is yeah, I have seen that. Isn't that amazing? Yes, yes, laughter is contagious. Yeah, people. it's infectious. It really is in the, in the best possible way. That's yes. that's a tough sell right after the COVID pandemic to to say that anything's infectious is a good thing. But that but laughter truly is. When you um when you laugh um a lot of times it there there's it does uh, physical things to you. There's, um, there's ways that it changes your body. Um, and um, uh, in, in fact, I even uh, mentioned that in the book. I talk about how it increases your endorphins that are released by your brain. It, it, it enhances your intake of oxygen-rich air. Imagine that. You're getting more oxygen um, because you're laughing. It, it stimulates your heart and lungs and muscles. Like it literally it's like a, a physical workout and, and when you're my, I'm I'm 57 now, so you're my age. You, you know, you might not go to the gym every day, but laughing is a, you know, I I, I just I tell I, I've already worked out. I laugh for 10 minutes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> as I said, laughter is the best medicine, right? people. <laughs> it removes all <laughs> stress. <trust. laughs> and
1: and if you if you do laughter just right, it even empties your bladder for you.
0: <laughs> yes. So, uh, Mr. Mike, are you naturally born comedian?
1: I think I was. I I. Uh, when I was in the womb, I mooned my parents. That was the first laugh I ever got. But no, I, 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 uh, I was, I've been funny since I've been a kid. I, um, I was voted class clown and most fun to be with in high school. Um, in college, I, um, I made people laugh. And, uh, and then shortly after I, I, um, I, I got a corporate job right after school, uh, uh, after training at university. And, and um, I was making people laugh there. And so I've always had a natural tendency to try to get laughter out of people. And what I came to realize is that without a comedy lens, without a, an angle, without a, a – you know, my comedy lens is I'm the clumsy Aspie hole. I'm on the Asperger's spectrum, I suspect. And um, I, we tend to not be as emotional and empathetic as other people. So we come across a little bit um, – uh, brusque, uh, uh brisk, or whatever the, uh, uh, the word I'm thinking of. And, and so, uh, but I'm also very clumsy, so it always backfires on me. So, so a lot of my humor is based on, on, on that comedy lens. And what, what having a good comedy lens does for you, uh, is it, uh, you know, in, in other comedy lenses, like Jerry Seinfeld is the guy who, uh, makes a big deal out of nothing. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield is the guy who gets no respect. Um, Rosie O'Donnell was, um, she was, uh, uh the domestic goddess. And so everybody, no, that wasn't Roseanne, that was um, Roseanne Barr, that's who that was. Yeah, I, I can't remember what Roseanne O'Donnell's um, uh, comedy lens was. But the point is, when you have one of those, it makes your jokes more relatable and it makes you more memorable. And if you don't have one of those, you become what I call a corner quipper. Somebody who's funny, but you know, nobody remembers you when you walk away. And if you're trying to make connections, you want to be more memorable and with a good comedy lens it allows people to understand more about you and what your take is and then you are more relatable and then they they laugh because either they, you remind them of themselves or reminds them of someone they know but it, but but you're you make it clear of, of where you're coming from and so that that to me is uh, one of the valuable parts of the uh, book so how did you enhance your craft well it's funny i i was a not I was in high school theater, but I was in, in, um, uh, but I never did stand-up comedy when I was younger. And then when I was working at AT and T in Cincinnati in my corporate computer programming job that I did for two years out of college, I did two open mics, which are uh, it's a five-minute showcase at a comedy club. You do it for free, and you sort of go up and try your jokes out for five minutes in front of a crowd that understands that a lot of amateurs are going up. And so at that open mic, I did pretty good. I was so nervous, though, all week. But I did good enough at that first open mic that the people who ran the show said, hey, why don't you come back next week and be in this contest that we're running? Well, I came wow. back the next week, and um, I would love to tell you that I won the contest, but I didn't understand that you are allowed to repeat your material. I thought you had to come up with brand new material every time you got on stage. <laughs> That's how new I was. I, I just figured that, that you know every time you get on stage, you got to have five new minutes. And what I didn't realize is that the art of stand up is honing that five minutes over and over again till you, you know, get it perfect and then then you move on to more material but you're allowed to repeat. So I did five brand new minutes and they didn't go quite as well and the pressure was on more and and there was better comedians in the in the lineup so I kind of gave it up for, for a while, but then I, I, uh, I was still longing to be on the stage. So I auditioned for and got a job at Disney MGM studios in Orlando, Florida. And that was a, a, a unique thing. I, I, I called in sick from Cleveland to my job in Cincinnati and told them I couldn't come in because I, and, and I didn't tell them why I just told them I was sick, but I was actually auditioning for this job and I ended up getting it and spending a year down in Orlando doing that show and then I did a show for Universal Studios uh the year after that and while I was doing that I began to do open micing and and doing stand-up comedy so that's kind of how I got my start I sort of began uh, shifted over to sort of corporate entertainment with Disney and with Universal and then at night I was doing stand-up and I would and I was going all over Florida just wherever I could find a stage I would do open mics at comedy clubs a lot of uh, little bars and pubs would have like a, a Tuesday night it would be a comedy night and they would just invite us all in and you just sign up on a list. And then that was the order you'd show up on you would perform in. And so you might, there might be 15 or 20 comedians all doing five minutes. So by the, yeah. You know, and if you go up 15th or 20th, they've heard so many jokes and heard so many premises that you have to be really good to get them to laugh. And so it was a really a great way to begin my career and get strong as a comedian. And then after that, I, I left those jobs and I just did comedy, comedy full-time, moved to Chicago. Then I trained at Second City, the theater there, which teaches improv. And that was real valuable. Uh, going through their conservatory program and then being hired by them to tour. And then eventually being hired by them to be on their main stage in Las Vegas at the Flamingo. That was a, a really fun year I did for them um, uh, after that. And then... Um, you know, I moved to New York for a year to try a comedy there, and I realized real, very quickly that that wasn't my scene. They're, they're too gruff there, and I'm real silly. So then I moved out to L.A., and that's where I, I got my uh, success. And eventually I ended up doing a, a radio show with a, a woman I met uh, my, who became my wife, and we did a show for CBS Radio there for a bunch of years um, called Cracking Up with Gretchen and the Lukes and it was a comedy show that we did and I co-hosted with her and, and we we made the weird news come alive. So we had all of our uh, uh, friends who we knew in the industry who were improvisers and c- comics, they would play the parts of the weird news characters that we would read in the paper and we would pretend like we were interviewing the actual people. So if there was a guy who was a, a squirrel tamer, we pretended like we had the squirrel tamer on our show. You know, if there was somebody who got arrested buying toilet paper during a hurricane for cursing, we had the cop and the person person who got arrested on our show and it was just our actor friends but and they were different once once we had the tooth fairy on our show yes. and the tooth fairy's agent and yes. in our case the tooth fairy was male so it was a guy who was playing the tooth fairy and he would and his agent was like this uh you know just a, a very hard, you know hardcore guy from uh you know from uh vegas you know so there, there was a lot of fun and we did that and then my wife and i uh we we started having kids we had two babies and that's when i realized i didn't want to tour and Uh, 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 making a living doing that anymore so I I began writing and that's when I um, started uh, in 2015 I really started focusing on my writing and uh, I was doing uh, writing SEO articles. Uh, I was doing the search engine optimization blog articles uh, about the National Football League and about sports betting. You know, the legalization of sports betting in um, in, in America in, in all the states. So so uh, so I've had a lot of different you know ways to make a living, but all of it is trying to be creative and and usually it's trying to, to try to get laughs. So that's that short answer to your question, Daniel.
0: (laughs) 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 No no one's ever accused me of being quiet. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) Do do you think that a mistake make you better in the process?
1: A mistake? Oh, yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny that you mentioned that because in improvisation, here's what they teach you about mistakes. And probably it's the same with uh, jazz music. But in improvisation, what they they liken a mistake to – uh, they're, they're different choices. And when someone makes a choice, it seems like a mistake. Um, what, what everyone does in the scene is they yes and it. And so instead of disagreeing or pointing out that it's bad, they agree with it and they heighten it more. And they, the, the way that they taught us that concept in uh, the conservatory at Second City was they, they told us to think of it like a, uh, someone who's building a, a vase um, or, or, or knitting a like a, um, like a knitted basket or whatever. And when you're weaving a basket, if you make a mistake, what what the weavers do is they turn that glitch into, now it's part of the pattern. So they take that what could be a mistake because it didn't look like the rest of the pattern that was already developing, and then they turn that into a new part of the pattern. And then because of that, it changes the look of the whole basket um, and it, for the good, because it makes it more creative and more original because no one was expecting it to go in that direction. So a mistake to me is there really are no mistakes. Uh, what, 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 uh, and that's what I, uh, what I was going to say with the jazz music. I remember one jazz musician said, um, you never make any mistakes, whatever you never, there are no wrong notes, um, uh, depending on what note you play after that right? So, so yes. you can, you can adjust, <laughs> if you play a good note after that wrong note, suddenly there's that wrong note makes sense of why you, you know, you use using that to get to the next one. So, so the whole idea of it is, you know, you, there's always mistakes, but, but there's always things that don't go the way you want them to go, but, it, but it's how you adjust to them uh, afterwards and, and how you yes, and it and heighten it, you know, how you take that thing and go, okay, well, um, it didn't go like, for instance, when I did my second Tonight Show appearance, um, it, for a lot of different reasons, it didn't go as good as my first one. I had a migraine headache on the second one. I had gotten bumped. I had a guy in the audience who had an air horn that was blowing it during my set. My microphone, uh, lavalier microphone fell off. The battery pack was swinging around, uh, my body, um, and and um, uh, like I was a tetherball, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I was the stick, and so or the pole. And so so uh, so a lot of things made it very um, th- difficult. And but I learned from that. And that's the, what I learned from from that um, experience was that I needed a better comedy lens, and that I needed a better understanding of how jokes are written and created. And so from that so-called mistake or, or um, uh, you know a, a glitch uh, came my book. That's what that's the book I wrote is the book I wrote for for, for the guy I, I wish I could have read back then um when when I when I um uh had that moment because it would have helped clarify what I needed to succeed in that moment better no mistakes mis- never oh, no. <laughs> opportunities that, that makes, yes. I hate people like that It's not a mistake it's an opportunity i just had my leg cut off i know but now you're going to be the best hopper in the world yeah you know? <laughs>
0: And they will say it happened for a reason, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. that's,
1: that's and, yeah, and you know what? sometimes it sounds a little corny, but when you go and look back on those moments, it it did happen for a reason. If you make something out of that, you realize that, wow, when I when that mistake happened, when that thing didn't go the way it was supposed to, there was a reason why it didn't go that way. It was to wake me up to what was I was missing or lacking or or doing incorrectly. And then you can begin to correct that. And when you can when you can make that happen, you know, I, I like. I think you really, um, you, you you really have a better shot at finding joy in life. You know, because that's what you're really shooting for, right? We're just all trying to be happy. We're all just trying to spend the day smiling and laughing. And you know, things get in the way of that. Those mistakes seem to get in the way. But if you can figure out how to, you got got it. Like it's like a, a a judo. You know, you got to take the the energy of that mistake and m- move it forward in your in your direction. (laughs) Yes. So uh before
0: we go, Mr. Mike, I want to shout out to the people listening in the United States. Hey, what's up? yeah and most especially the state of Texas. Yeah, that's well. Yes. Uh in Dallas I got 62%, Houston at 18%, Round Rock uh five percent San Antonio, Sugarland, Austin, Amarillo,
1: Cati, oh, Mesquite. Those, those are all my neighbors. Yeah.
0: Oh, Palestine. Do you have a Palestinian? <laughs> yeah, I'm, up, I'm up here in Dallas.
1: So, yeah, yeah, it's funny. Texas, you know, when you say neighbor, like it's such a big state. He's my neighbor. Yes. He's like 700 <laughs> miles away. It's, it's, all, it's a quick drive.
0: <laughs> Richmond, El Paso, Cypress, McKinney. Cibolo, Georgetown, Laredo, San Benito, Spring, Humble, Wiley, Waco, Conroe, Addison, Pertland, The Colony, Tombaugh, San Angelo, Sequin, Selburn, Irving, Cedar Hill, Grand Anton, buddha frisco mission and last but not the least lobak yeah, thank I'm you back. so much for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower different kind of cuisine and a lot more and thank you so much because i'm almost for my 1 million downloads thank you so much people Whoa. For supporting this podcast because my goal, uh, Mr. Mike, this year to have a one million downloads yeah,
1: what a great goal! <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, hopefully, this is the one that takes you over that edge, man. I hope this is the one. I, come yes. on, Texas people, we can do this. <laughs> yes,
0: Texas. Uh, actually, according to my analytics, uh, United States is my uh, I don't think our uh, number two is uh, number two countries listening. To What's me. the number, number one? Like- Canada, Canada yeah, our <laughs> Northern, brothers, woo-hoo. Northern brothers. Yes. So, uh, Mr. Mike, what else you can say about your book? Uh,
1: well, I would say that, um, it like the, um, the book is, uh, again, if, if you need any more information about it, it's at funny muscle.com. And, uh, and the reason why I call it a funny muscle and see, cause a lot of like, our people are used to hearing funny bone, but I don't really think funny uh, is a bone, a bone is hard and rigid and, and comedy is more, you know, pliable and it, it, it stretches and it, and it builds, the more you work on it, it builds. So I think it's more of a funny muscle. And so I think everybody has their own funny muscle. And sometimes like any muscle, um, uh, that you haven't worked in a while, it might just be a little bit weak. And sometimes if you don't even know you have it, it might be kind of stagnant, you know? And, um, uh, atrophied, and so when you can begin to um, work on it and, and practice, you know, and have something that you can practice that actually makes you funnier without having to do it in front of people, that's what this book helps you do, and that's what the book uh, helps you to uh, figure out how to um, get done. And you know that that it's kind of like, uh, it, like, say, if you wanted to learn how to play the guitar. You know, you would take a lesson and you would learn how to form chords and play notes. And then you'd to know how those work together in a progression. And then you would know how to put those progressions together to create a song. And then once you learn how to do that, you can just practice that and get better and better at it. And people who have never played guitar before all of a sudden are very musical and playing guitar. It's the same thing with being funnier and doing comedy um, and, and, and being humorous and getting laughs with you know from people. It, once you understand how it works, you can practice that and then get better at it. And then all of a sudden before you know it, pop. It happens naturally in conversation. It happens with strangers. It happens with friends. And if you're already a little bit funny, it, it gives you more options to be even funnier because sometimes you know we, we don't all have time to study all the all the greats and and, and I have I've watched a lot of I've watched a lot of a lot of film Daniel a lot of comedy film and, and um and, and and I and I see the patterns and I see how people do it and, and now you have a chance to do it the same way the pros do using this book Finding Your Funny Muscle available May fifteenth this Monday and um, you know what get a, uh, get a euro from your local Greek place and then get the book. And you can read and, and laugh while you're eating Greek food. There's nothing better. Definitely. Hold the onions. Hold the onions. <laughs> the onions.
0: <laughs> Most of them don't like the onions. So put lots of French fries.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Give me that. Yeah. And, and that, yeah, those The Greeks uh, tend to do a really good French fry. They have... Um, they sometimes get a bigger, thicker one, more like a chip, like the Europeans do. Mm. Yes. Wasn't there a, there was a movie uh, they did about a, a guy who was testing McDonald's and um, they, they, they wanted to see how long these fries would, would last. And so they just, they, they just kept a, a, a thing of fries and, and it, all the other food was going bad, but the fries would just look exactly like they were when they came out of the fryer. So he said like the preservatives and the oil and that must be so deep. So yeah, I, I can see that that must cause like mental, emotional, and physical. What do you eat? Do, do? You eat fries? Do you have them? Oh yes. What do you What do you um? What do you dip yours in? And I'll tell you what I dip mine in.
0: I do uh, garlic mayo. What do you go with? Garlic mayo.
1: Ooh, that's good. What do you make that yourself?
0: Yes, you do like put garlic, fresh garlic, and then mayo, and combine together, and that's it. Really? Voila.
1: How much garlic, like, uh, what's the ratio? I'll probably put too much. Uh,
0: if you don't have the fresh, you can use also the uh, powder. Right. So if you have a one cup of mayo, just put a half teaspoon of
1: garlic powder. Okay, Okay. all right, that makes about sense, okay. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. I usually try to do, I, I can do either a ranch, I like that, From and that comes from my days of eating uh, chicken wings and then having fries and blue cheese dipped in the uh, uh, blue cheese dressing or ranch dressing that you get with the wings. And then um, uh, I like blue cheese or ranch dressing, and I like uh, sometimes barbecue, or sometimes I'll take a ketchup and a hot sauce, and I'll mix those together and throw a little bit of mayo in there. Woo! Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yes. Sounds delicious. Right? Finding your funny
0: muscle. Please support Mr. Mike Lucas, because I'm sure this is phenomenal, because you know what, people? We need to laugh, because there's a lot of people there are bitter.
1: <laughs> right? No doubt. No doubt. You know there's a lot of people in the world eating french fries in the Greece. So we need to help them by making them laugh. Yes. And if they laugh hard enough, it, something crazy will happen, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> Definitely. So once again, Mr. Mike invite our listeners to buy your book.
1: Oh, please do. And and you know what? It's really actually pretty affordable. You can find all this out on funnymuscle.com. Uh that's funny and muscle together.com. And um, the book is 1499 the if, if for the actual uh, paperback book if you want to hold it in your hands and make notes and, and stuff and then if you just want to buy the, the ebook uh, for your Kindle device or your other device um, you, you can get it for 799 and so um, and it's uh, the book is like it's 240 pages long and it's um, uh, it's it's good and and you you can you know what which the book is because it had on the front cover is a whoopee cushion, and I use the whoopee cushion because it's a classic example. It's the most basic example of how to um, get a laugh, which is you 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 uh, benignly violate a normal expectation. And you know there's a normal expectation of quiet in public, and then when when a whoopee cushion gets squeezed. Obviously, that, it's, it's, that expectation is violated. And then if someone gets blamed for it, it's even funnier. So just so you know, though, when you look at the book and you see the whoopee cushion on the front, it's not an instruction manual on how to use a whoopee cushion. It's actually a, a way deeper than that. But come to FunnyMuscle.com and find out all about it. And uh, I can't wait to meet you. Yes,
0: people, love support, Mr. Mike Lucas. And my Food 101, Mr. Uh, Mike is Number 13 now,
1: the best food podcast on the planet, nice. So Daniel, look at you. Let's yeah. get to one million. Let's help Daniel get to one million. <laughs> tell some friends. That's yes. what you got to do. Like the word of mouth is the key. If if people enjoy it and then they tell some people, like, oh, you gotta check this out, it yes. helps so much. And same with leaving reviews for books. If you get if you if you buy one of my books, leave a review. And boy, does that help? Because what we're trying to do, Daniel, is we're trying to get the algorithm to be our friend. Yes, definitely.
0: And you know what, Mr. Mike, there I we have a comment there that they are recommending us because we giggle a lot chef alessandro we giggle a lot in our show yeah. and they give us one star what <laughs> you know laughter is the best medicine and laughter is
1: contagious
0: so we still continuing
1: laughing each other absolutely yeah well you know what that it, then then they should they should listen to the serious podcast where no one laughs and it's there's crickets in the background <laughs> oh, yeah
0: <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Mike, for your time. You All got right. it. I think on people, see you soon. See
1: ya.